but I know, I know more or less. Okay, the Shia this week is sponsored twice. First, the memory of David Wicks, Zichranolivracha, by members of his family, his parents, that is. And the second, uh, is I just found out, Li Louis Nishmat, Avraham Beryl, Ben Menachem Mendel, Zichranolivracha. Today is the Yorzat. Yes, the first Yorzat. The Neshama should have an idea. Okay. I'd like to. Uh, how long have you been in the yeshiva? How long have you been in yeshiva? Oh, you just came. And where'd you go to high school? What college? What? Las Cruces High School. Which? Las Cruces High School in New Mexico. Las Cruces, New Mexico. What city in New Mexico? Las Cruces, New Mexico. Las. Las Cruces. What is that? The crosses. It's a real place? It's the second largest city in the state. Yeah, but a lot of empty spaces in New Mexico. And then I went to Northwestern University. I was there once in New Mexico. Albuquerque, is that in New Mexico? And what about the atomic bombs? Are they in New Mexico? They are, right? All those lost physicists, they put them there and they hope they'll grow bigger bombs and you can't get out. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> Actually, it's mostly in Nevada. In Nevada, like Los Alamos, Los Alamos, all those good movies about making. You know, I, I accidentally saw a YouTube of you, Dr. Schroeder. It was pretty good. Which one? I know something about uh, creation. You go like this, and then you go like this. Something like, you know, which are very dramatic. Uh, but when, when I write this, did you write that also? That's important. <laughs> okay, I want to start off with a section from the introduction of the Ramban to the book of Dvarim. Right? Remember, the Ramban wrote introductions to the books of the Torah. He also wrote a very long introduction to the idea of Torah, which is not the same, right? Which is, that long introduction is usually printed at the beginning of his commentary in Breshit. But besides that long introduction, there are shorter introductions on the books of the Bible, the five books, five introductions. Now, I'm not being entirely accurate because the introduction to Breshit the book of Breshit is included in the, in the introduction to Shmot. Like, introduction to Shmot. So there's an introduction to Breshit, a short introduction to Breshit at the beginning of Shmot, then an introduction to Shmot, introduction to Vayikra, there's a Babidbar introduction to Dvarim. Okay, all of those. Besides which, there's a very long introduction that the Rabban wrote about Torah. Because he understood, as others understood, that the Torah is not, in Hebrew we say, miksha'achat. It's not entirely written in the same way in each part of, of its existence. And that's part of the reason that in modernity, uh, starting from uh, Spinoza, Spinoza was really the father of biblical criticism, what is called 
biblical criticism, people look at the, at the Torah and they see different strands or different authors or different kinds of uh, ways of putting it together. So this was all, these ideas were well known to Chazal. However, the, the solutions that Chazal suggested are different than, of course, the solutions that Spinoza suggested. But the problems are recognized by both, both the both Chazal and the, let's say, modern philosophical approach to biblical understanding of the Bible, which I think has, in modern times, been reduced somewhat, and the more traditional way of learning has become more popular. It certainly became more popular with me. So listen to what the Ramban has to say about the book of Dvarim. Now, this section is sort of a quarter of the introduction. There's more to it. So if you want to see the rest of the introduction, you have to look in the Chumash. You have to look. It's printed in every Mikraot Gidolot. Every Mikraot Gidolot, this introduction appears, the introduction. We're now going to learn the introduction to Dvarim. Yes, part of it. Not all of it, part of it. So the Ramban says this. He says, besides what Moshe Rabbeinu said and the speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu, there in this book, in this book there are mitzvot, new mitzvot, mitzvot that are not written anywhere in the Torah, except in the book of Dvarim. Now you know, and I know, that most people have this idea that but the Dvarim is Mishneh Torah. Mishneh Torah meaning a copy of the Torah, a second Torah, a repeated Torah. Uh, so the Ramban says, well, this is not entirely true because there are a lot of mitzvot in the book of Dvarim that do not appear anybody else, and if they, anywhere else, and if they had not been written in the book of Dvarim, we just wouldn't know about them. We wouldn't know that they're mitzvot. And he says, Kigon, I'll give you an example. Yibum. Right? When a man dies, he has no children, he has a brother, his brother has somehow uh, an added responsibility to his brother's uh, memory to marry the, the wife of the brother. Vidina Motsi Shemra, someone who idly speaks badly about somebody else. Hagerushin, divorce, Baisha. Ve'edim zomimim, edim zomimim, you know, two witnesses come, and they say, Ruvain killed Shimon, and then two other witnesses come and say, you couldn't really uh, know that, because at that time, on that day, you were with us. Those are the edim mezimim, and if proven guilty, the first two edim witnesses are called zomimim, right? The, the, the Masechet of Makot deals mostly with this uh, halachic, matter. So this is found only in the parasha of Kitetze. It's found in the in Dvarim. So he, he has this list. He says Yibum, Mosishemra, Gerushin, Eidim Zomimim, Vezulatan. You know what Vezulatan mean? Etc. I mean there are many mitzvot. If you just look in the parasha of Kitetze, right, two weeks ago, the parasha of Kitetze, there's like sort of an endless mitzvah parasha. There is no other parasha in the Torah 
that contains as many mitzvot as the parasha of Kitetze. Which means, according to the Ramadan, you can't really define the book of Dvarim as the book in which Moshe Rabbeinu repeats things. Doesn't make any sense because there's so many things in Dvarim that are new that have not been stated as yet. So he goes on and says, but I want you to understand the Ramban is going to now tell you what he thinks is correct. He said, That all of these mitzvot that are in the book of Dvarim, again, where was the book of Dvarim stated to B'nai Yisrael? Where? In Ever Hayardain Mizracha, right? The eastern bank of the Jordan River when they were about to go into Eretz Kena'an after the 40 years that they spent in the desert. This is the end of the end of the end. And it took all this time, the way the Ramban sees it, until Moshe Rabbeinu is going to tell the Jews a lot of mitzvot that they didn't know about. He told them, he told them that uh, uh, at that time. But he said, he said, Ki ba'avot mo'av, the second line, Ki ba'avot mo'av lo nitchatshu lo ela divrei abrit kasher nitparesh bo. In, in uh, uh, all of these mitzvot, all of these mitzvot in the book of Dvarim, which was stated to B'nai Yisrael after 40 years in the desert, were taught to Moshe Rabbeinu at the time that he received the Torah. And they were taught to him in two venues. One is Har Sinai. You remember that Moshe Rabbeinu spent 40 days and 40 nights on Har Sinai? But it, Three times. What? Three times. Three times, 40 days and 40 nights? Two times. But, but 40 days and 40 nights? I mean, what was he doing there? Receiving the Torah. What? Receiving the Torah. Receiving the Torah. Okay, that doesn't take 40 days or 40 nights, but maybe to learn all the mitzvot in the Torah, maybe that does take 40 days and 40, uh, 40 nights. But according to the Ramban, all the mitzvot of the Torah were taught to Moshe Rabbeinu either at Har Sinai or when they put up the Oel Moed, Moshe Rabbeinu used to go in and learn the next parasha in the Torah. That was, you know, after, right after Har Sinai. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew all these mitzvot. And what is it the Ramban is trying to emphasize here? That just because Moshe Rabbeinu taught the mitzvot to B'nai Yisrael after 40 years, it doesn't mean that he learned these mitzvot after 40 years. But he actually learned these mitzvot as part of Matan Torah, which the Ramban divides into two, Har Sinai and Oel Mo'ed. That's what the Ramban says. And then the Ramban goes and says a programmatic thing which is remarkable. He says, Kiba Arvot Moab, the second line, the middle of the, no, I'm sorry. Uh, the second line, the beginning of the second line. Right? Either Sinai or Olmoed. Bishana Harishona Kodem Hameraglim. In the first year that the Jews left Mitzrayim, before the hate, before the transgression of the Meraglim, the transgression of the spies. 
In other words, the transgression of the spies was a change in Jewish history. History changed. Because until before the spies, they were about to go into Eretz Kenan. Spies, they wandered around in the desert for another 38 years until they came to Arvot Moab. So the Meraglim changed history. This is called the Meraglim. Ki, he says. Ba'arvot mo'av lo nitchatshu lo ela divrei abrit. Arvot mo'av. What's arvot mo'av? Where they are now. They are now in arvot mo'av, right? Somehow mo'av, we discussed this several times. Amon, mo'av, sichon, no, no, going from the south to the north. Amon, Amon, mo'av, sichon, og. Right? So the land of sichon in og. The land of Sichon became became the place that Ruvain God and Chatzis Shevet Menashe inherited. Ammon and Moab, for whatever reason, the Jews were not allowed to destroy. They let them be, but that's where they were. They were standing when Moshe Rabbeinu was talking in Arvot Moab. And what is it that, that the Ramban emphasizes here? That in Arvot Moab, Moshe Rabbeinu did not receive Torah. In Arvot Moab, Moshe Rabbeinu only taught the Torah. He only taught the Torah. And if not for the Chet Raglim, if not for the Chet Raglim, they would have gone into Eretz Israel, someplace in the book of Bamidbar. And the book of Bamidbar, which is about what happened to them during the 38 years, you remember? Balak and Korach and Pinchas. I mean, these are all events that happened during those 38 years. If not for the Miraglim, if not for those spies, then Moshe Rabbeinu would have taught them all of this stuff in the book of Bamidbar. Because in the book of Bamidbar, they would be going, Bamidbar, Doso, Baloscha, Shlach, Right? They would be going in the direction of Eretz Canaan, and Moshe Rabbeinu would be teaching them all the rest of the mitzvot that he knew about. But since the Baraglim came, history changed, Bamidbar became the book that represented the 38 years of wandering around the desert and doing nothing, and Devarim became the book where Moshe Rabbeinu told them all the things that he had not yet told them, had not as yet told them, not as yet told them, different niggas. Ki ba'avot mo'av lo nitchatshu lo ela divrei habrit. In avot mo'av, the only chidush, the only new thing, that one that came up in, uh, in, in the book of Tvarim, the only really new thing, new he means, the thing that Moshe Rabbeinu received from God in avot mo'av was the Brit, the covenant. And where is the covenant? In the parasha of Kitavo. Have I lost you? You remember Kitavo? Very unpleasant parasha. Right? It's so unpleasant that there's a minag that you don't even give anybody an aliyah for that parasha, but you let the poor, long suffering Balkore get the aliyah. And you don't charge him for that. <laughs> the rabbi gets an occasion. Oh, the rabbi? Yeah, the Shlomo Dov. Uh, huh? Shlomo Dov got it here in the shul. Okay. Shlomo Dov, uh, 
Rosen. I retract my original statement. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's sort of like we're nervous about it. That's what I mean to say. We're a little nervous about the, the Brit, even though the word Brit means covenant, and Brit is like a positive word, but the covenant is mostly negative. It's mostly if you don't listen and you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're going to get whacked. And then the getting whacked is described in great detail which is a little bit unnerving. And that's the parasha of Kitavo. So the parasha of Kitavo parallels, parallels, as Chazal pointed out, parallels the parasha of Bechukotai, the last parasha in Vayikra. Remember Vayikra, which comes before Bamidbar. So the last parasha in Vayikra has the Brit, the original Brit. The Brit that was established between B'nai Yisrael and HaKadosh Bochum when they were about to enter the land. That Brit is rejected when the Miraglim, when the spies went to spy out Eretz Yisrael and came back with a bad report that B'nai Yisrael were willing to accept. So it got wiped out. No, if it's wiped out, you could ask me, why is it in the Torah? So we'll, so we'll give some kind of an answer. But you know for a fact, that even if I don't know the answer to the question, why is it in the Torah, that old Brit? I know for a fact, as the Ramban said, that there is Brit number two in Parashat Kitavo. And Brit number two in Parashat Kitavo is the introduction to B'nai Yisrael going into Eretz Yisrael. And if that's the case, it behooves us to ask, what is the parasha of Nitzavim and Vayelech? In other words, we've now discovered that there are things that Moshe Rabbeinu says, and there are things that God taught Moshe Rabbeinu that he says, those are called mitzvot, and then there's a Brit in the book of Bamidbar at the end of Ki Tavo, and now we're up to Nitzavim Vayelech. We have four Pajiot left. Nitzavim Vayelech, Hazinu, and Vizota Bracha. Okay, so I'm not going to do Hazinu Vizota Bracha, but I'd like to know what Nitzavim Vayelech are about. Now, if you go back to the Rabban, let's just finish the Rabban. The second line. Lo nitchachulo ele divrea brit, kasheni pareshbo. And therefore, he says, he, the Ramban, he's going to give you a proof for all of this, all of the speculation that he has. He says, These kind of psukim that serve as introduction to mitzvah material in Shemot and Vayikra, they don't exist, those psukim do not exist in the book of Dvarim. It never says in the book of Dvarim, because according to the Ramban, that, pas, that pasuk, or a pasuk that says, right, those psukim, uh, uh, in other words, when does the Torah say Vayedaber Hashem al Moshe Leibor Daber al Bnei Yisrael? When there's immediacy, 
God is now speaking to Moshe Rabbeinu and God says to Moshe Rabbeinu go teach B'nai Israel. Yes, but in the book of Dvarim it's all old stuff. It's all things that Moshe Rabbeinu knew from the time he was at Har Sinai. So it never says in the book of Dvarim by the Be'er Hashem El Moshe Lebor Tzavet B'nai Yisrael Kach V'Kach even though there are endless mitzvot there's never there's never a command on Moshe Rabbeinu to say this to B'nai Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu just realized that there are mitzvot left over that he hasn't taught and uh, he's got to do it right away. So he does it right away. So he does it right away, but it's not, it's not that he's being commanded, commanded to do it. And then he says, uh, the, the next line, so, so the Rabban is left with a question. How come Moshe allowed this to happen? How come he just waited until Arvod Moav to teach all of these mitzvot? Why didn't he do this at the end of the book of Shemot, Vayikra, Bamidbar? Why didn't he teach the Jews all these mitzvot that are left out? So the Rabban here speculates Maybe there are a lot of mitzvot, certainly there are kitavo ela'aretz, there are a lot of mitzvot which were done only when they came to Eretz Yisrael. A lot of mitzvot connected to the Beit HaMikdash, connected to mitzvot atliot ba'aretz, which, are, which we, we call... Uh, connected to the land, mitzvot connected to it. So there was no reason to teach B'nai Yisrael these mitzvot while they're wandering around in the desert because they can't do those mitzvot anyway. There's no way to do that. That's his first speculation. Ki ulai lo nhagu be'otana mitzvot rak ba'aretz afal pi shehen chovat aguf and even though some of these mitzvot deal a mitzvot on a person, like a like personal mitzvot. So why should we distinguish Eretz Yisrael from Chutz Laaretz? Like you have to put on tefillin in Eretz Yisrael, you have to put on tefillin in Chutz Laaretz. You have to say Birkat HaMazon in Eretz Yisrael, you have to say Birkat HaMazon in Chutz Laaretz. Those are mitzvot that are called Chovat HaGuf. Right? It's the person who has to do the mitzvot, not the location. It's not location driven. The sachim are the sachim that were used in the Beit Hamikdash, the libations, which were uh, taught earlier, uh, even though in the book of Bamidbar, or maybe because these mitzvot are not so common. Like you know, marriage is more common than divorce, so you don't teach uh, so much about divorce. For one of these reasons. Maybe Moshe Rabbeinu, what is reason Moshe Rabbeinu decided not to teach the mitzvot until his audience was the children. His audience was the children of those who died in the desert. In, in, other, in other words, for the Ramban, it makes sense. It makes sense that Moshe Rabbeinu would be uh, thoughtful about who he teaches the Torah to. And if in fact, all the people standing in front of the beginning of the sojourn of 38 years, all those people are going to die. So that takes the edge off of, 
is the edge of, do I want to teach them the Torah? Do I, am I so concerned about completeness in the Torah? So Moshe Rabbeinu says, according to the Rabbah, says, I'm going to save a lot of mitzvot and teach them to the banim, to the children of those who are not going to go into Eretz Yisrael. Well, whatever, however you speculate on what that might mean, there's no doubt that the Ramban said it. So, the first time there was a Brit in Bechukotai, in Bechukotai, they should have gone right into Eretz Yisrael, but they didn't. They didn't. There was the Miraglim that prevented them from going to Eretz Yisrael, and history kind of, the proper history, or the history we thought of, came to an end at that time. So now we're up to the parasha of Nitzavim. What is the parish of Nitzavim? I mean, what happened? Why did the Torah just shut down after Kitavo? So the first pasuk, if you look at the sheet, you'll see Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem Lifnei Hashem Elokecha. Atem Nitzavim. Nitzavim means to stand straight, tall, strong, firm, rooted, right? Atem Nitzavim. I can't move you. Kulchem. All of you, the Pasuk says, and then you have a list of who Kulchem is. Rashechem, your leaders, Shiftechem, your tribe, Siknechem, your elders, Shotrechem, your policemen, Kolish Yisrael. So there's a statement about democracy. There are no representatives in this Pasuk. Atem Nitzavim refers to everyone. And then the next pasuk goes on. Tapchem, Nishechem, Gerchashem, Kerem, Machadecha. Those who are usually seen as being uh, uh, devoid of power, devoid of, of the ability to make certain kinds of decisions. So you have your children, your wives, your, your the foreigners, uh, right, the, the lowest of the low the ones who collect the, the wood the ones who draw the water and then the Pasuk Yud Aleph you see Pasuk Yud Aleph to make you pass through to pass through in the covenant and in the oath to pass you through the oath which God has given you today, which means that the parashah of Kitavo was like the content of the agreement. There was a content. In modern times, or maybe even before modern times, way before, each side would sign. Each side would sign. In Babylonia, they all signed with a signet ring. Right? That was a way of signing. Every person, every family, every they all had rings and they signed. They pushed the stuff into the clay, right, on the clay stone. The stone was covered with clay. I mean, the stone was a stone and the clay was clay. And then they pushed in the signet ring and that was a sign that they signed. But that was good for two people. That was good for two people. Well, how did they do it when there was were 600,000 people. And everybody is invited here in the beginning of Nitzabin. Everybody is invited to sign. So the answer is Lavricha. If you look at Rashi at Pasuk Yud Aleph, look at the Rashi at Pasuk Yud Aleph. Lavricha, 
You should be the ones who pass through with the covenant. Right? I don't want to take you too far afield, but you remember that Avram Avinu made a covenant with God. Brit Bain Habitarim. Right? The Brit, the covenant between the pieces. And so Avram had to walk through this covenant. He walked through the covenant. And that was the sign that he accepted it. Look at the Rashi again. It doesn't make any sense to say that God did it to you. Now look at the next Rashi. In the way of passing through something. This is how they did it. This is how they did it. They put up a wall on one side and a wall on another side on the other side. And you go through it as a sign that you accepted the conditions of the covenant. So it didn't matter how many people were on the acceptance line. Because eventually everybody will go through. Everybody will be able to indicate that he or she or the children or the adults or the poor people or the rich people have accepted this covenant, etc. And Rashi quotes the Apostle Yirmiyahu. So you see that the parasha of Nitzavim or the beginning of the parasha of Nitzavim could be understood as a reflection on what happened at the end of the book of Ayikra. On the book of Ayikra, the book of Ayikra, there was no formal acceptance. There was no obligation. It was sort of obvious. The people who received the Torah, the people who had Moshe Rabbeinu as their leader, and the people who were kind of always being impressed by the concern that HaKadosh Baruch had for them, well, those people, it was assumed that they would accept the covenant as stated without any question, but that was not the case. They rejected that covenant with the Miraglim. They rejected that covenant, and so this time, the second time, there is a specific acceptance process where every single person, every single person am Yisrael, the men, the women, the children, the rich, the poor, etc., all have to be part of the sign-up. That the sign-up for this covenant. If you look at the Leman Pasuk Yud Bet Hakim Otcha Hayom Lo Laam. Leman Hakim Otcha Hayom Lo Laam. Which means, in other words, that today somehow, that if you accept the covenant then you are with God. Because another way of looking at this covenant is that if God signed the covenant, right, then, so it's, it's an eternal agreement. It, you can't breach it. I mean, that's the thing about a covenant that has agreement to it, this kind of agreement. You can't, you can't get up one day and say, I'm, I'm not in it. That would be considered transgression. 
you, there's no way to relieve yourself of the obligation. And that's what the Pasuk says, Lemana Yom Lola Am. It's a permanent relationship. Every single one of you is accepting the covenant, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu is somehow a party to this covenant, which means that it will never change. There's nothing that can change. Pasuk Yud Gimel. I am establishing this covenant, but not only with you alone. You here, you people who are here, you 600,000. But the ones who are here, uh, that somehow, that somehow, just as we can always say that we are the descendants of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and so we always say that. And that's what we say in Rosh Hashanah. It's like a thing. But, but we say to God, well, I know we did something wrong, but we're the descendants of Abraham, Yisuk, and Yaakov. It's as though we say, look, you know, no matter what happens, we still have that genetic advantage. We're, we're not like anybody else. We're the descendants of Abraham, Yisuk, and Yaakov. You say, you, it sounds silly, doesn't it? I mean, Abraham, Yisuk, and Yaakov were great, were great uh, righteous people. So what does that make me? Nothing. He said, no. It makes me, it makes me the potential. I mean, that's why I was chosen. Because for all the succeeding generations, I'm still the child of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. That never changes. That's what Rashi, that's what Rashi said. Right? Even the generations of the future. The generations of the future are involved in this covenant that was established between Hakadosh Baruch Hu and B'nai Yisrael, the parish of Kitavo, and was and was signed on by Am Yisrael, the beginning of the parish of Nitzavim. They signed that, right? Then the 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 parish. The parish of Nitzavim continues to talk about the fact that the punishments, in the, I mean, the point is that it is the punishment clauses of the Brit, the Kitavot, will actually happen. And that's why they're written in the Torah, which is something we spoke about, I mentioned in the beginning, right? That why is it if the if parashah bechukotai is abrogated, so why is it in the Torah? This is okay, because it appears someplace in history. There will also appear someplace. Those punishments will appear someplace in, in history. They, you can't abrogate the punishment. You can just abrogate the agreement. So here, the Pasuk says, if you look again in Perik of Tet, Pasuk of Dalit, it's almost as though Moshe Rabbeinu at the end of the Torah says, you know, 
You know why you have all those psukim, all those miserable psukim about how bad things are going to be and how you're going to go into exile and you'll be smitten by people, by peoples, and by animals, and by rodents, and by mosquitoes. I mean, they'll all get you. One way, why are all those psukim there? Because it's actually going to happen. It's actually going to happen. And you have to be able to understand. Look at Pasuk of Dalet. Everybody knows. And in fact, the way to understand this properly is to understand that the reason that there is a punishment is because there's hope. That without a punishment, they would simply be, that would simply mean that God has left the covenant. Is that God says, well, you guys are not into this, you, you rejected the covenant, so I, HaKadosh Baruch, will reject you. Punishment, punishment only has real meaning if it's about bringing people back. I mean, what's the point? What's the point of having this kind of complex punishment? What's the point of chasing B'nai Yisrael out of Eretz Canaan? We just let things happen normally. Other people will come and other people want to get, get a hold of the land, right? You could have Iranians and Turks and all kinds of people who for no particular reason just want to get rid of, of the people who are living in Eretz Canaan. We don't need all of this kind of planning. And the planning only makes sense if there is nechama, if there is some sort of respite, if there is some sort of positive thing which will come out of it. The problem is idolatry. So what's vayichar? What is anger? Right? What is what does it mean to say that God is angry? Does it mean that God decided that things are hopeless? What's the point of being angry? I mean, anger is an educational means, right? It doesn't mean that it's always good to get angry. But when you get angry, we're trying to make a point. We're trying to make a point. What's the point when God gets angry? It's a human Israel. You think this is no big deal. You did a little idolatry. You went to, uh, to soccer games on Shabbos, you know, or whatever. Like, you think that, that nothing is a big deal, right? That's the, the result of, uh, of Jewish education. You can do this, it's not so bad. That's not so bad. The other thing's not so bad. Everything's not so bad. But when you put it all together, it looks pretty bad. God got angry. Anger is educationally positive very often. And it certainly can't be that God's anger is the result of some kind of personality uh, uh, limitation. But it's because the anger was helpful, would be helpful, would be positive, could change things, that anger. HaKadosh Baruch says, what don't you know that you were standing there with Moshe Rabbeinu? Do you pass through? And, and the, there was a mechitza on one side, mechitza on the other side, you accepted the covenant and now you're rejecting the covenant, you can't. So that Vayichar could be positive. Pasuk Havzai, Vayitzei Mashem Mi'alad Matam, Vayitzei Mi'alad Matam, Ba'avachayma Ba'ketzum Gadol, Ve'eshlichem Et Eretz Zacharit Ki'yobazeh. So God got rid of them. Now look at those words in the Pasuk, right? Af Chema Ketzev Gadol. Af is anger. Chema is anger. Ketzev Gadol is anger. 
but it's super anger, right? Super anger. Why super anger? Because Ben Israel has got to be convinced in the diaspora that there's a future. That there is a future by and the last pasuk is anistarot l'Hashem elokein v'niglod l'onu v'neinu adolam l'asod kol dimeret harazodah. We're only responsible for obvious kinds of indiscretions. That's what we are, we are responsible for. But we have to take care of them. That's our obligation. But uh, everything else, God will take care. Will take care of. Okay. Tvarim perik lamed. Tvarim perik lamed. You see. Let me just. This is called Parshata Chuva. This is again in Parshat Nitzavim. The continuation. Now, as we talked about in Nitzavim, the, you have to accept the covenant. We talk about the fact that all of the klalot will in fact come to be and we thought about the fact that the anger that God expressed is positive it's the hope that things will be straightened out will be as they should be and suddenly in the Tzavim in Perikalaf you have Parashat Tshuva which is the ultimate uh, uh, expresses the ultimate concern that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has for B'nai Yisrael. It's not the tshuva of the individual. We're not talking here about the tshuva of the person who did something wrong. We're talking about national tshuva. The entire people. And the Pasuk says, Right? When all of this happens to you, and all the things that are written in the covenant, all the things that are written up in the agreement, the end of Kitavo. says all these things are going to happen. Shenatati lefanecha, and then vashevota el levavecha, vashevota el levavecha. You will return to your heart. You will return to who you really are. You will become what you should have been all along. And this you will learn in wherever you happen to be, wherever you've been chased to, or chased out of Eretz Yisrael by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Pasuk Bet, V'shavta Ad Hashem which sounds like a statement. This is what is going to happen. This is the ultimate statement of Nechama, of uh, peace and shalom and re-establishing the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch and B'nai Yisrael. It says it. Bishavta Hashem This is what the Rambam says in Perik Zion of Hilchot Tshuva. If you have a chance, you could look at it. Bishamata Bikolo. So there'll be a reversal. That's what tshuva is. You will return to who you were at the time of the covenant. You will return to the people who want to accept the dominion of divine rule. You will return to become the people who listen carefully to what the Torah says. V'shav Hashem elokecha shvutcha v'richamecha 
and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bring you back, will have mercy. And God will bring you back. So if you look at these four psukim, or three psukim, how many times is the root shav, tshuva, used, right? And he says, the first pasuk says, The second pasuk says, Shavta Right? And the third pasuk says, And again, So that the ultimate, the, the end of history, the end of history, the way it all is supposed to work out, the way it's going to be, the way it should happen, the psukim, the psukim say is that God never abrogates his position in the covenant. God is always tied to, connected to, part of the covenant. B'nai Yisrael are not always worthy of this connection, but ultimately they will be. That's proven in the covenant itself, otherwise there couldn't be a covenant. There couldn't be an agreement with HaKadosh Baruch if it wasn't going to work out. It just wouldn't exist. It would kind of go up in smoke. This is what the parasha of Nitzavim is about. All of these psukim are from the parasha of Nitzavim. And the Rashi, the Rashi, Rashi says, V'shav Hashem You see the Rashi puzzle Gimel? Hayalo lechtov v'heishiv et shuvudcha. It should have said, and he, God, will force you to go back. He will put you back to Eretz Yisrael where you should be. Rabotenu lamdu mikan. Amazing what Rashi says. Shashchina keviachol shuya im Yisrael bitzarat galuta. That just as B'nai Yisrael are in Galut, so too is a Shechina in Galut. If B'nai Yisrael have lost their houses in Eretz Yisrael, so too apparently HaKadosh Baruch Hu has lost his place, so to speak, the Beit HaMikdash, in Eretz Yisrael. So that Chazal say, well, you know why it has to happen? You know why there has to be this tikkun of Am Yisrael ultimately? Even the Chazal, he's quoting Chazal, not quoting Kabbalists. But okay, you can quote Kabbalists also. I mean, that's okay. But he's not quoting Kabbalists, he's quoting Chazal. He's saying, it can't be. It, this whole thing can't be. I mean, on Tishabab, you were in Tishabab, you said the keynote, the keynote, that, that's what Yirmiyahu said. Eicha, Eicha, Yashvabadad. Eicha means a question that has no answer. Something happened that could not happen. What happened that could not happen? The Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. So you, you, you said, I understand. If you want to punish the people, you want to destroy their houses, you want to give them over to the, to the Roman legions. Everything, I understand everything. I mean, we deserved it. We strayed away. I wasn't able to convince the people. I wasn't able to talk to them about what was important. They were not listening, etc., etc. But Yirmiyahu said, But you shall lie in the Beit HaMikdash? That's not a punishment of B'nai Israel. That's sort of a punishment of heaven. 
heaven is being punished. So look up the Chachamim. And they say, oh, you know what he meant here, Miao? What he didn't chap, that there's a future. I mean, he did chap it. I didn't, I didn't mean that. But at that moment, at that instant, he didn't know about the future. And what was the future? The future for, for, for Am Yisrael, that HaKadosh Baruch will have to rebuild the house that was destroyed. It was sort of like a divine necessity. Just as it was important the first time around to have a Beit HaMikdash, it remains important. Nothing of it changes in the way God sees the thing. So he says, Rabotenu labdu mikan rashi, shashchinah kiviyachol shuriyam Yisrael b'tzarat galutam. It's as though the shchina is in the diaspora. Ukeshenigalim hechtigdu lala atzmo. When they are redeemed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is redeemed. Now, whatever that means, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's hard to say anything about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But, but without saying it, we can sort of like feel it a little bit. We understand it a little bit. Not much. Whatever words we use are kind of comical almost. But, but we understand nonetheless, Shehu Yashuv Imahem, that God will return when they return. When B'nai Yisrael returned to Eretz Yisrael, so too will God return. Jehoish Yashuv Imahem. V'od yesh lomar, shegadol yom kibbutz galoyotu v'koshi, that there's a great, the great day of the return of the exiles. Ke'ilu hu atzmo tzarich liyot ochez biyadav mamash ish ish bimkomo. It's as though God has to hold on to them. And bring them, etc., etc. So you see that God has sort of a role. He's not just, you go back, God goes back. It's rather that going back depends on grabbing on. Right? The people grabbing on to the Kodesh the Kodesh grabbing on to the people. So that's the Arim Perik Lamed. And that's the parish of Nitzavim. The parish of Nitzavim is, on the one hand, everybody accepts the covenant. And Moshe Rabbeinu is teaching people that the covenant means an end to history. That things will be as they should be. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu teaches them. He says it's going to be difficult along the way because you're not really able to understand, you're not always able to understand the difference between Avodah Hashem, serving God, and idolatry. You're not always able to understand. That's why if you learn the book of Shoftim, Right, the second book of the Tanakh, the book of Shoftim, it's like every 40 years they had to have another war to clear out the idolatry. Because idolatry, idolatry is very attractive. It's very difficult not to be, not to be idolatrous, uh, I can tell you. So, finally we're up to Vayelech, right? Vayelech is the parasha where Moshe Rabbeinu leaves. He's done it. He's fixed what was not fixed at the end of Ayikra. He's fixed what Parsha B'chokotai left out. The hope that you have as a result of the covenant. It, it must happen because there is this agreement with HaKadosh Baruch So Vayelech Moshe, Vaydaber Dadverme Evo Kol Yisrael, Vayom Elehem, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Ben Meyav Esrim Shana Anochi Ayom Lo Chal Od Latzeit V'Lavor V'Hashem Amar Elai Lo Ta'avor Ta'yar Dei Nasei So Moshe Rabbeinu is beginning his own eulogy. 
He's eulogizing himself. But really, it's a, you could call it a retirement speech. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, not only can't I be the leader, I can't even go into Eretz Canaan with you. Rashi says, Lo uchal od I won't be able to go out and to come back with you, to lead you into war or to lead you where you're going. You think that Moshe Rabbeinu was weak, that he was weakened, and that's why he can't go out, that's why he can't lead B'nai Yisrael. Talmud Lomar, there's a pasuk, Lo ka'ata'ino, nas lecho. Lo ka'ata'ino, his eyes were not weakened, and his forehead, uh, I'm sorry, v'lo nas lecho, and his, his youthfulness, you know, he, he looked youthful. He was still, you know, not dried up like an old peach. So what did Moshe Rabbeinu say? He said, Lo uchal, I can't do it. What can't he do? I'm not permitted. So the made in the manner of a great uh, leader, he passes the baton and he says, I am no longer the leader. I may look like the leader, I may sound like the leader, but I have been, my power and abilities have been transferred to Yoshua. Devarachar, as she says, are words that apply to learning Torah. That Moshe Rabbeinu was no longer able to teach Torah in the same way as he had been until then. So Moshe Rabbeinu lost, sort of simultaneously, lost two jobs. What was the malchus that he had, the leadership that he had of B'nai Yisrael? He looked apart. But Moshe Rabbeinu admitted that he no longer possessed the part and that he had to give the baton to Yeshua Binun. Oh, oh, besides that, besides that, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I no longer am privy, I am no longer privy to the various Torahs that I learned directly from HaKadosh Baruch and I can't pass them on, and they're going to go to Yeshua. So the Gemara, the Gemara says, the Gemara says in Erchin that when Moshe Rabbeinu died, there were sort of on the table thousands of questions that Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to clarify with heaven, but he didn't have a chance. So Yeshua Nun looked up to heaven, and he said, look, I've inherited all these questions. Can you help me? Can you help me answer the questions as you helped Moshe Rabbeinu answer the questions? So Kodesh Baruch said to Yeshua Benun, everything has changed. All that's left is for you to figure it out on your own. You and the other Chachamim Yisrael. So the inheritance of Moshe Rabbeinu, the inheritance of Moshe Rabbeinu was not only, not only Moshe Rabbeinu was old and tired and unable, but that somehow Moshe Rabbeinu explained to them or made it clear to them that they would be able to live without him. 
that Yoshua ben Nun, Kalei ben Yifune, Ozriel ben Kenaz, where those people would be able to figure out the answers to the questions, which, as you remember, Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, it's a losing, a losing deal. It's very nice that you stay up all day and all night answering questions. But when you die, the whole thing will die with you because you're the only one who can answer the questions. So Yitro said, you have to appoint judges. You have to appoint other people who will be able to answer the questions. Yeshua Benun. Yeshua Benun was a student. His Rebbe was Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, what was he studying exactly with Moshe Rabbeinu? He wasn't studying what everybody else was studying. He was studying how to answer the questions. Everybody else was studying the answers. He was studying how do you get, how do you get to the answer to the question. Okay, have a good Shabbos.